He, on the other hand, could promise them a nightmare beyond their imagining. Brutality, starvation, disease, the corrosion of anything good they once might have been, the certainty of death. But they would not listen to him. They did not look at him. Often they did not even see him. Unlike the lieutenant, his senior officer, the recruiting sergeant rarely left the ship unless it were under the cover of darkness, and it wanted a little time yet for that. And yet he was drawn, in spite of all he knew to be wise, away from the hidden places of the quayside and up the well-remembered lanes and venals behind Ship Row and into the heart of the town. The college roofs rose up ahead of him, behind the houses that fronted the Broadgate. The scholars who had their lodgings in the town were hastening home, showing little sign of being tempted astray to an inn or alehouse, and away from their hearth and their landlady's table, however mean it might be. Gowns were pulled tight, caps held to heads, and oaths against the elements uttered. Few remarked upon him. One or two children, late already for their supper, darted across the street and down narrow pens and closes, laughing in strange relief as they disappeared from sight. Women on their own quickened their step. Those in twos or threes cast him swift glances and murmured in low voices to their companions as they hurried on. He stopped in shadow of a forestair jutting out into the street. Change days, he thought, that I should stand here unnoticed but the observation was a reassurance to one who sought obscurity. Gradually the bustle at the college gates faded to nothing, and the doleful ringing of the bell above St. Nicholas Kirk told the porter that it was time they were closed against the darkness that had now fallen. Three nights he had waited thus, three nights he had been disappointed. He was on the point of giving the thing up as lost, a lesson from fate, a message from the god from whom he had so long ago parted company, when the billowing form of a solitary man in the gown of a regent of the Marshall College emerged onto the street. The figure called something to someone behind him, and the gates were hastily drawn to against the growing turbulence of the night. The recruiting sergeant held his breath, scared almost to move. The voice, it was the voice, He knew it, and by a trick of the years it called to something in him that he had thought long dead. At this distance he could discern no grey in the hair, no line on the brow, and as the other crossed the broad gate and disappeared down the side of the guest row, he knew it was the very walk. Even after all these years, there could be no doubt it was Alexander Seaton. The stranger pulled his cloak tighter round him and turned back in the direction of the quayside and the ship. It was growing colder, and it had been enough. There was time yet, and he had other business to attend to tonight. Chapter 1 Aberdeen, 1st October, 1635 Downey's Inn was as full as I had seen it in a long while, 
and, worse lit than was its wont, the poor light from cheap tallow candles doing more to mask the dirt ingrained in every bench, every corner, than the landlady's cleaning rag had ever done. A sudden noxious warmth hit me, a steam rising from damp clothing mingled with the usual odours of long-spilt ale and burned mutton. I shouldered my way through a knot of packmen and chandlers to the hatch from which Jessie Downey dispensed only bad ale or sour wine. Just before I reached it there was a small commotion to my left, as four of Peter Williamson's scholars bolted from a bench in the corner and out of the back door of the inn. Jessie avoided my eye as she passed a jug of beer out through the hatch. "'There are none of yours in here tonight, Mr. Seaton.' "'Are there not?' said Peter, having spotted Shoris Mackay, a Highland boy from my senior...